you, Hannah Beth. Hello. You guys are awfully handsome. I don't This is such a handsome congregation. I don't know what it is. Maybe the lights are down a little bit. Maybe that makes you look better. No, you look good in, in, in bright light. As uh, Hannah Beth said, my name is Mark. I'm very, very happy to be here. I'm an associate pastor on staff here at Chantilly, but I actually I have a dual citizenship. I'm also part of the uh, church on Capitol Hill. So we got... Uh, I got um, a lot of friends. Um, we, as uh, Hannah said, uh, we're having, uh, basically, we were uh, given our own choice as to the um, topic. And so I want to share with you something I'm calling Transforming Power. And it's on the transformational power of the Holy Spirit. I want to invite you to look at a passage. It's from Romans uh, chapter 12. And it's just two verses, but they're jam-packed. Verses 1 and 2, Romans chapter 12. If you have a paper Bible, if you have a phone Bible or some other device Bible, you can look up there as well. I'm reading from the KGMV. And if you haven't heard of that before, because it's, it's very exclusive, it's the King James Marx version. <laughs> and uh, I won't go into it, but anyways. <laughs> I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's that word, transformed. I love it. Transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will. Amen. Let's pray. Father, This is a dear group of people who've come out on a Wednesday night to seek you. We pray, Father, fall upon us tonight in our minds and in our souls. Change us, Father. We are hungry to know you better. Give us wisdom. Give us grace. Most importantly, give us the power of your presence tonight. Open our minds and hearts that we may love you, know you more. In Jesus' name, amen. As a young man, I wasn't particularly, uh, you know, I wasn't, I don't know, super intelligent. I hadn't written any books. I didn't go to the prestigious schools. Um, and, but I, I believed in the transformational power, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And one of the reasons was I needed the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And I received the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, when I was born again, uh, the Lord... Filled me with this Holy Spirit. It was, a, it was an amazing experience. Uh, and then later on, uh, when I began uh, to be discipled, I had people who believed in the power of the Spirit and they prayed for me. As a young pastor, I needed the power of the Holy Spirit. People came to us with problems that just weren't in the books. You couldn't solve them uh, in the books. People came with, in fact, in the first town we started in a little town called Cookville, Tennessee. Great little town. In uh, uh, obviously in Tennessee, and it's uh, Tennessee Technological Institute there. And uh, over time, some of the other local pastors, when they had a real hard case, they would send them to us. They would say, well, maybe you should go down there. Those people really believe in miracles and whatnot, so maybe you should go over there and see them. Information alone doesn't transform. When I'm talking to people about discipleship and I ask them to read a book and they read it overnight, that, that, does, that doesn't encourage me. That shows zeal. But that's information. 
transformational reading is when we do it slow. We read it really slow and it gets into our soul and the word of God begins to transform us. Uh, the gospel does contain great philosophy. It, it has a great moral code. It touches on all areas of life. It has wisdom. It has advice. But it's much, much more than that. It's not mere philosophy. It's not merely a moral code. It's not merely information. The gospel actually means good news. News is something that is proclaimed. It's announced. To, to, to uh, explode people in the kingdom, we've got to preach. We need at least probably more than a six-foot distance from the preacher. Because when he starts preaching and, and goes from teaching, and teaching is wonderful, we've got to have teaching. Um, but we also need the explosion, the transformational power. You got to step back maybe a row or two. I hope, I hope you guys are okay down there. But it's starting to fly up here a little bit. And that's what happens with preaching. Since the gospel is backed by the power of God, it needs to be proclaimed. If we found a cure for cancer, I mean just unqualified cure for cancer, any kind of cancer, then tomorrow's headlines, it would be absolutely bold and large. It would be scrolling across the bottom of your uh, TV screens and your, your devices. Cure for cancer found. We have a cure for what ails people eternally. We have a cure for people uh, that will deliver them from sin, death, hell, and the grave. And so it's a much bigger headline. And so when we come into a city and we come into a situation, we are boldly proclaiming Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected. Amen. So that's what it means to, to believe in the transformational power. But before we dive in, uh, I want to just give you a little bit of context because the Apostle Paul begins this chapter with the word therefore. And you've probably learned that when you see the word therefore in Scripture, find out what it's there for. Amen? In other words, it's referring back. And Paul is referring back to the previous 11 chapters where he describes mankind's descent into a dark fallenness. And he follows that with God's way out through the power of salvation. In chapter 1, he shows how mankind fell into atheistic, self-centered materialism. He shows how uh, humans became worshipers of themselves and of creation instead of worshipers of God, which we were created for. How we became immoral, materialistic, malicious, filled with envy, murder, deceit, gossiping, backbiting, haters of God. Should I continue? <laughs> Spiteful, proud, boastful, promise breakers, unmerciful. Hey, this stuff didn't start with the internet. This is in the first century. Unmerciful. You know, I could go on. A, a people who not only acts in these ways... But they encourage others. Paul says they encourage others to do it. He goes on to show the powerlessness of religion to change people. And that being born of a particular ethnicity is no hedge against it. It happens to every person, every type of uh, ethnic background. And how, though people know God's law, without the transformational power of the Spirit, they have an internal inability to obey it. He reveals a righteousness that comes from God that is not dependent on man's performance, but on the performance of the Son of God. Amen. Amen. 
So let's look at this process of transformation. I'm going to look at three things. Uh, the start of transformation, how it starts. Then we're going to go all the way to the end of trans transformation. And then we're going to come back and look at the middle. Okay? First of all, the start of transformation. Notice how Paul begins the chapter. And I know I'm going to, I'm going to wander out of this passage for a moment, but I'll, I'll be coming back to it. He says he re he's addressing brothers. Those are believers. He's addressing the leadership of the church who were in turn to take that letter and either read it or, uh, or have it read to the church. And so when he's addressing brothers, he's addressing people who know the Lord. This is one of my discipleship passes, passages, you know. Pete, you know the Lord. Now we've got to become renewed. We've got to be transformed. But the beginning of transformation has already started. That is when you know Jesus Christ. And so he says, by the mercies of God. These are people who have experienced the mercy of God through the gospel. And I'm not going to go into this in depth. I'm not going to use uh, as, um, all my notes here. But you know that in John 3, a man by the name of Nicodemus, who is a leader of the Jewish people, came to Jesus and began to talk with him. And he said, I, we know that you're from God because you're doing things that, on, that only God can do. And so he was a little bit far along there. He wasn't just a critic like so many of the Pharisees were. And he began to talk to Jesus, but he was in the realm of information. He wanted to have an intellectual, informational conversation. Jesus was uh, intent on moving him to transformation. And so when he finishes his little spiel, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, truly, truly, or as a rabbi would say at that time, Amen, Amen. I say to you, he meant this is, I'm about to tell you something that's from God. Unless a, a man, except a man, be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to say, because uh, Nicodemus says, hey, how can a guy go back and be born when he's old? And then Jesus says, except a man be born of the spirit, he cannot enter, enter, can't see it, can't enter the kingdom of God. He said, the wind blows where it wills and you hear it sound, but can't tell whence it comes. You hear the King James there? Whence it comes and where it goes. So is everyone born of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Uh, the beginning of transformation is the new birth. This is where God m moves into our hearts by the Spirit as we understand the gospel and put our faith and trust in it, and he recreates our dead, stony, fallen human spirit. And we come alive, and our eyes are open. Now, in the evangelical church, we tend to really tout those dramatic testimonies where somebody, I used to hear these testimonies growing up, it's like, people, the more sin they had, the more, the better it was. I thought, well, hey, I've got to go out there and build a testimony, I guess, you know? <laughs> I did it too. Boy, I got a good one. And I've regretted it ever since. But that's the way I grew up. You know, it's like the longer the sin, the worse the situation. Who's going to top that? Let me tell you something. If you were saved at three or four or five years old, your testimony is precisely the same. We are sinners saved by grace. We were born with enough sin to put, a, put the Son of God on the cross. And if you're, if you're one of the people like me who did a lot of sin, you're going to have regret. You're going to be ashamed. But your sins are paid for just like 
That person who gave their heart to Jesus when they were, when they can't even remember they were so young. Same testimony. We don't have different testimonies in the kingdom. Saved by grace and by grace alone. Saved by faith and by faith alone. How do you know then whether you're born again? If you don't have that dramatic moment, you have a heart that wants to know God and wants to know him better and wants to live in his presence. That's it. You got that? You've got a new spirit. You have a recreated spirit. God's word is not unreasonable. It's not anti-intellectual. But it goes beyond those things. Paul shows the gospel to not only be to be the power of God in the rebirth. And he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. We should not be ashamed of the gospel. You know, we need to tell people, hey, listen, what you need is to be born by God's spirit. You've been born on this earth. You've got a body. You're walking around. But that you need Christ. Got to move on. The gospel. Uh, In another place, Paul admits that many people find this idea of of God saving by the gospel to be foolish. And he even talks about the foolishness that God has chosen to save people by the foolishness of the preaching of the gospel. And us preachers very often feel foolish. But let me tell you something. The gospel is not foolish. Uh, I go to physical therapy because... um, I don't know why. Because... uh, some. (laughs) Some surgeries. I had some surgeries. I got older. I got older. I had maybe poor posture, lack of working out. I mean, for, for the last couple of years, I said, I'm in no shape for exercise. And it turns out it's true. My therapist confirmed it. So I have so many bad places in my body that I told my therapist, do you all have something you could just dip me in? I mean, I don't need this or that. It's like where they're working on this. No, they're working on everything. She told me to bend over. She said, bend over. I said, I did. She said, oh, you are stiff. Uh, so anyway, she would say, okay, I want you to go home and do this exercise every day. Have you seen some of these exercises? It's like, that's not an exercise. You know, one of them is just kind of hardly moving. So it's a little things like this. No pain, no gain, right? Where's the sweat? Where's the pain? Well, when I tried to do the no pain, no gain, you know, it's hospitalization. So, so no more of that. What happened to him? He did a setup. Get the mask on him right now. Sad, sad, sad. Uh, anyway, she tells you to do these little exercises and you're saying, that's not going to do anything. That's foolish. That won't do it. But guess what? I have this amazing young lady who is phenomenal, if she's watching, phenomenal, uh, at hurting, no, at, at uh, hurting me, at, at helping me. And she knows what she's doing. I asked her the other day, how, how long did you study and how, many, how long did you, what did, we, what did you do? Four years after, after college, she was doing interns and just different things and on hands. And she knows the human body. Listen, God knows what the human soul needs. It needs the gospel. And guess what? Once you're 20 years in, 30 years in, 40 years in the faith, you still need the gospel. Spurgeon said, I preach the gospel every week because the people forget it every week. As a young man, I was caught up in drugs and other bad habits. I needed transformation. I just didn't need a little bit of a you know, self-help book. 
And thank God I met some people who would pray for me. All right. Uh, so that's the start. That's the start of transformation, the rebirth, to be born by the Spirit of God, whether you're three years old or whether you were 30 or 60 or whenever. All right, second, let's go all the way to the end of transformation. And as usual, I didn't even look at my watch when I got up here. Now it means nothing because... So we're going to be out of here, I promise you, before 9.30. <laughs> 10 o'clock, the latest. Anyway, we'll move on. Uh, what is the end of transformation? Um, well, we, need, we are going to have to go outside our passage here, so forgive me, but I, we will come back to it. Many of us modern Christians, we focus on the cross, and rightly so. The early church certainly focused on the cross. But they, much more than we do today, emphasized the resurrection. We hardly talk about it. We're about to. We're about to have uh, Easter, you know. But listen, for the first three centuries of the church, these people were being martyred. They were being killed. In fact, that word martyr has to do with witness because it became synonymous with death. That you would, you would uh, hold on to your witness even unto death. And so they were being martyred. I have a friend who started a ministry to addicts back when the AIDS, uh, there was no cure for AIDS. And all of these uh, addicts were coming off the street with dirty needles and they all had AIDS. And he said, we were so close to God. We were so on fire and we were so filled because we were dying. And they, they knew their lives were short. Their marriages were amazing because they, didn't know, they knew they didn't have very long. And he said, we he said, we've lost something since we've been cured. It's amazing. They lived in the face of death. And, and, and in our world, in America at least, in the United States, we kind of live in a Disney World version of the world. We have brothers and sisters in our uh, every nation family of churches who face imprisonment and death. But the early, church, uh, early Christians focused on the resurrection. They, it was horrible when Jesus was crucified, but it was amazing and wonderful when they realized he had been resurrected. And we'll remember that they often said, he's risen. And the, as they walked by and the other person would respond, he's risen indeed. He's alive. He's alive. Which was the ultimate validation of his messianic mission. So uh, when some in Corinth at the church begin to say, there is no resurrection, Paul responded. He said, but if there's no resurrection, this is 1 Corinthians 15, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ hasn't been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. You know what he's saying? That without resurrection, there is no Christianity. Without resurrection, Christianity is invalidated. And so when people come, you know, talk about these things, they say, it's fine to not believe in the resurrection. Just take the cross down off your steeple. You know, Get out of the church. Go do that somewhere else. If you're going to call yourself Christian, then follow the tenets of the faith. Amen? Or call yourself something else. Turn it into a lodge. You know, whatever. So anyway, don't get me started. Stop it. You guys, I'm telling you, you're trying, aren't you? You're trying to make me say these things. In essence, Paul, Paul says there's no Christianity without resurrection. So the ultimate end of transformation is our bodies being fully uh, uh, transformed. You say, well, that'll be good. Well, you, as, after you've heard about my physical therapy, you know it'll be a lot better for me. But uh, guess what? When we die... Our sin nature dies with us. 
Did you know there was something good about death? Now, don't go out and die because I said that, but um, when we die, that love for sin dies. And when we're resurrected, we will never be tempted again. When we're resurrected, we will see. So anyway, I'm just going to move on forward here uh, because in, in his first letter, the Apostle John said, Beloved, we are the children of God now. We are now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Jesus came out of the grave in a resurrected body and we are going to be like him. And we're going to see him. That is code for we're going to know him, fellowship with him, walk with him. Can you imagine? I mean, we have some services that are just amazing. We're praising. But can you imagine in the amphitheater of heaven with about, you know, who knows, 100,000 of us. And the apostle Paul comes out and does some preliminary preaching. And uh, Martin Luther comes out and says a few words. The angels of heaven are up there. The cherubim are above. And then finally... The Redeemer walks out. Amen. We're not going to be just floating around playing harps. I don't get into that. I might like to float a little bit, but I don't know about the harp. <laughs> but can you imagine that? Hallelujah. We'll be like him. And then I'll finish with this on this, on this point. In Romans chapter 8, earlier, Paul had said that, we, that the final portion of our adoption is the adoption of our bodies. The resurrection. And he says in verse 21, because the creation itself shall be delivered from the bondage of the corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. When? At the resurrection. He says that creation is groaning. This world is groaning. And he says that it's going to be set free by the resurrected sons of God. Sons is men and women, by the way, guys. You're all sons in that position before the Lord. And so the creation that is groaning is going to be set free. There's a, a lot of popular end time scenarios these days. Uh, most of them are just so bad. Seriously. The Apostle Paul uh, and the rest of the apostles are talking about a victory where we win. And we win through the resurrection of the body. Um, and... And then set in creation free, including the animal kingdom. I, I talk to animals now. I used to go on a walk and a bunch of horses would be out there. And the horse would kind of stop eating and look up at me and I would talk to it. And, uh, but when, you think I'm crazy, but when, <laughs> you could be right. Keep going. Yeah. I have talked to a psychiatrist on occasion. I took a sabbatical once. I have a friend who's a psychiatrist, Dr. Bill Henry, and I said, I wanted to meet with you, and he says, fine. And I said, because I'm taking a sabbatical, and I'd like for you to evaluate me and see if I'm nuts, because sometimes I wonder. And I did get a clean bill of health. Uh, so. <laughs> so instead of escaping some antichrist-dominated world, in Romans chapter 8, Paul unfolds this ultimate transformation of God's people, setting in motion the renewal of our fallen world with the fulfillment of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. With him at the lead. Oh, wow. So, where are we going? So, we saw that how we start. Rebirth. Our, our spirit is recreated. 
And then we see where we're going, we're going to be resurrected from the dead, no sin nature, perfect bodies that live forever, helping Jesus Christ bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, which he told us to pray, by the way. Which, if he tells us to pray, it's going to happen. All right. I know some of your theology, you're just getting kind of your eschatology, your end time stuff. That's all right. Just hold on. And then the middle, this is where we'll end, back in our passage. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good, acceptable, perfect will of God. This is interesting. The rebirth is is relatively instantaneous, isn't it? When you pray... When you, in that first moment, once again, whether you remember it or not, that first moment where the, the, the breath of God comes into our heart and we live. And then the resurrection will be in a moment, in a twinkling of the eye. The Bible says, Kawam, we come out of our graves or wherever we are. And, uh, but this is a long process. This is where we are right now. So you see, from the time of rebirth to the time of death, we have this opportunity to become renewed. And some of us are better at it than others. Some, we got some people hanging around here who, you know, in my opinion, are saints. I'm not going to say who it is. But in my opinion, you know, some of them are. Not me. I don't include myself in that group. Uh, I'm saved by grace. <laughs> Debbie will tell you. She says, how can you come out of such a wonderful service and then say that? I don't know. That's just me, sweetheart. Um, (laughs) So we're in this middle process where we're becoming renewed. Paul says, present your bodies. This is not a one-time thing. You get the opportunity to do this all day long. Amen? Yeah. You know, I used to counsel a lot of Marines down in Stafford, Virginia. And I would say to a Marine, uh, which would you rather do, um, go be deployed, let's say to Afghanistan or somewhere, and then with your group be charged to charge a machine gun nest. Or you get a call at work and your wife says, tonight when you get home I want to talk. Every one of them chose the machine gun nest. (laughs) We'd rather die than do certain things. But here's what he said, living sacrifice. You know, there's a lot of religions that call for you to go blow yourself up and kill a bunch of people too. I won't name any names, but that's the quick way out. We're called to be a living sacrifice. And we get a chance to do that every day. And even by lunch, you get another chance. And by early afternoon, you get another chance. Amen. So what do we do with our bodies when when we're still in this body? We keep presenting them to God. And we grow. We grow. We grow. We're not perfect. You're not perfect. Maybe you're much better than you were a year or two ago, but we keep presenting our bodies to the Lord. Um, And look, in light of his, and we're, we're aiming toward holiness. Holiness. And I could make you feel guilty and preach on holiness, but it's his holiness we're after. He's the one who gives it to us. We get it the same way we get salvation and, and rebirth. By grace and by faith. And he says, in light of Jesus' death for us, this is reasonable. 
This is just your basic service because if he laid his life down for me, then I got to be his man. Amen? I got to be his woman. Uh, that's just my basic service. I wouldn't have a life right now. You know, um, Jim Gaffigan talked about the, the Pope back when the, we had a Pope who was shot and how he actually went to the uh, prison and forgave the guy who shot him. He said, but what if they had to live together, you know? And the, uh, and the guy uh, actually said to the Pope, it's your turn to do the dishes. Pope could say, my turn to do the dishes? You shot me. You tried to kill me. I forgave you. You're out now. You're forgiven. You see what I mean? Uh, if God, if Jesus laid his life down, then we're under obligation. It's our reasonable service. But we should be doing it as a thank offering. Amen? We should be presenting ourselves as a thank offering. So when we present our living bodies, we're not killing ourselves. We're not killing other people. We are living for Christ. We present our bodies. We're doing it as a thank offering. Thank you. I remember one wonderful, amazing uh, Roman Catholic woman who really loved the Lord. And she would, every time she would do something, she would whisper in her heart, for you, Jesus, for you. I thought that was so wonderful. Second, Paul writes, don't be conformed to the world. That's a negative. Don't be. Don't be conformed to the world. Uh, some people say don't be deformed by the world. We live under a constant pressure to be conformed to the world. And we know we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. We're to be shaped and formed by the gospel, but we're to be in the world. That's a difficult thing, isn't it? It's a challenge. You know, when, when divers go down into the water deep, I've never experienced it, but I've seen movies where people did it, or I've seen documentaries, and there's pressure comes on you because of all the weight of the water is pushing against your body, and water is heavy. You know, and so as you go down deeper and deeper, 100 feet, 200 feet, 400 feet, it gets, the pressure gets amazing. In fact, if you come up too quick, your blood will begin to bubble and you'll die or something like that. It does something in there and you die. So you have to come up very slow from the pressure. We live in a pressure all the time uh, of conformity. And, the Lord's, and Paul is saying, resist that. Don't be conformed to this world. It's one, we want to be relative. We want to relate in a way that they understand and can hear. But what we want to relate is the gospel, not what they're preaching. How do we know the difference between the world's fallen notions and, and, the, and the truth? We've got to know the gospel. We have to know the gospel. have to be in your Bible. have to really understand it. Amen? Uh, work hard at it. Work hard at it. You have to sweat some to learn the gospel. You have to know the scriptures. Uh, the way that bank tellers, you've heard this many times before, know a difference between counterfeit money and real money is by handling real money. You know how to tell that what's not of the spirit, what's of the world, handle the gospel so much that when somebody slips you one of those, you go, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not the gospel. Thank you. I don't want that. Amen. Be transformed. So there's the negative. Don't be conformed. But B, here's the positive, transformed. And we're in the home stretch. So Paul follows that negative with a positive. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. And how are we transformed? We're trans that word transformed, by the way, is, is the root word from which we get uh, metamorphosis. You know, to morph. 
into something else. And the good news, this is actually supported by science. Paul says, change your brain. Become renewed. Renew your brain, which is to take fallen negative thoughts, worldly thoughts, and change those to godly thoughts. That's a process, guys. Uh, I mean, I brought so many wrong thoughts into the kingdom that, had to, that have had to be straightened out. And still, I'm still learning things. We're replacing uh, fallen thinking with biblical wisdom. And uh, Paul says in another place in, in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we destroy arguments and every lofty thing, every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive. He's talking about in his apostleship, this is what he's about. He is dealing with people. He's uh, appealing to people. He is debating with people, trying to destroy those arguments that are raised up against the knowledge of God. Now, medical science backs up this idea of becoming renewed in your brain. Uh, neuroscience uh, now, over time, has discovered the plasticity. I practiced that for about half an hour today to be able to say that. Plasticity. No. Pride goeth before a fall. Anyway, I said it the first time. Anyway, the, that, which means the brain actually changes based on behavior. If you become an addict with drugs, your brain will change and adapt to that, and you've got to have those drugs. But if you start denying it those drugs and give it something else, it starts developing new receptors, and it changes. It's actually malleable, and it, and it changes. Just think, if every time a, a fallen thought hit our mind, we would just grab the scripture immediately and started saying that one out loud and meditating on it and believing it, there's a little bitty receptor starting to grow right there in the brain. And it might be your, you know, your first Timothy receptor right there and then uh, another one over here. I'm not sure they're labeled like that, but they, they'll be there in your brain. The ultimate outcome of this renewal process... By the way, I had this weird dream. Uh, people... If you want to know what dreams are from God, probably none of them are. But anyway, um, at least 90% aren't. But I had this weird dream where this guy was missing half his head. Can you imagine? And I was trying to encourage him by saying, well, we only use 10% of our brains. <laughs> I woke up and I thought, what in the world? If you have a dream like that, don't wake up and say, I wonder what God's saying to me. I'm sorry, you, you at home, we're having fun here. They're going, I'm turning this off. What is the outcome? He says this, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's not three wills. Some people say, well, I kind of live in the acceptable will of God. No, you don't. <laughs> That's one will. And his will is three things. It's good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect, or it's complete, or it's mature, it's full. Amen? And so this is a process. We don't do it in a heartbeat. We don't do it in the snap of the finger. I wish there was that way. Remember the, the Staples commercial where they had the easy button? You push the easy button. They even sold those. They don't work, but they sold them. They just sit on your desk. You push it. And uh, we don't have one of those in the kingdom. I wish there were. We have that 
that momentary experience of new life in the Spirit when we're born again, we'll have that amazingly instantaneous uh, resurrection moment. But in the, in the meantime, we're to present, we're to not be conformed, and we're to be renewed by replacing the, the ugly thoughts, the bad thoughts, the negative thoughts, the unbiblical thoughts with Scripture and with God. Amen? And we become more and more and more like him. Let yourself do this. Amen. Don't try to be perfect and then just hate yourself because you're not. But just let yourself be in that. And if you forget to present yourself at 9 a.m., no problem. Instantaneous forgiveness. And you can step right back in and say, but now, 10 a.m., I'm presenting myself. Amen. Close with this. Um, many of you have heard the story of this great man in uh, 2 Kings chapter 5. His name was Naaman. And he, was, he had ascended to the highest post in the military in uh, the, the world power of the day. And uh, he had uh, tremendous success. He, had, he was next to the king as far as power is concerned, but he had one problem. He had leprosy. And leprosy meant that you had to be separate. It was just, you know, it caused a lot of problems. And after being part of a pandemic, we all know what it means to be distanced and all that. But uh, a young gal who uh, overheard and she, she said, look, if he could only go to the prophet in Israel, he could be healed. Naaman's response was to go to the king and get a strong diplomatic letter from the king and then with chariots and an entourage, what, what would to, in today's world, it would be a long uh, uh, formation of limousines and, and bodyguards and whatnot, all went to the king of Israel, pulled up outside the palace, brought this letter in, and the king reads it and tore his clothes because he's thinking, this is a pretext for war. He knows I can't cure leprosy. And uh, Elijah finds out about it and says, hey, that, that letter was for me. Have him come to me. Tell the, he told the king, tell him to come to me. So Naaman and his, his limousines and all these, they, tra they trek out to Elijah's house, wherever that was. And guess what? Elijah doesn't even come out to see him. He sends one of his uh, servants. And he tells him to go to the Jordan River and dip. What was it? Seven times. And... You see, Elijah must have known by the Spirit the real problem that Naaman was having. And that real problem was that he was trusting in his position, his power. That was where his hope was. That was where his faith was. That was his leprosy. That was the internal leprosy that was in his heart. He was not looking to God at all, but to his own power and to the power of the king, the political world, and the military world. And so Elijah is not going to play that game. So he just sends out. Well, Naaman's offended. He's offended. He says, are you kidding me? He's not even going to come out and talk to me. And he wants me to go dip in that inferior river, Jordan. I mean, we got greater rivers back in Syria. And he starts to ride away angry. Just like all, so many Americans. They hear the gospel. Oh, that's so ridiculous. Just that simple message, put your faith in Jesus. Oh, that's not going to work. I've read books on psychology. I've done all this. And yet, 
they are internally dying and being eaten up with leprosy. You could be, you might be watching, you may be uh, one of the top officials in Washington, D.C. People may just literally part like waters when you walk through. But you know you have leprosy. And there's only one cure. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go dip in the Jordan seven times. It wasn't the Jordan. It wasn't in Elijah. That was a picture of coming to Christ and being washed. Being washed by the blood, being washed by the Spirit. So, where are we tonight? It's simple. It's just a simple gospel. It sounds foolish, but it is living water to whoever will take a drink. Amen? If you're looking for genuine freedom, Father, in Jesus' name, if there's anyone here, if you're here and you have not given your life to Christ, you know that you struggle with leprosy, the sin that's in your heart, would you lift your hand and put it back down? I want to pray for you. Is there anybody here like that? Anybody at all? You want to be right with God and you want to do it right now. Is there anyone here like that? If you're online and you, and you did that, if you want to give your heart to Jesus Christ and trust in his gospel, then please pray this prayer with me. Lord, I've lived to fill myself. I've trusted in other things that can't deliver, but you alone give life, and now I give my life to you. I believe in my heart Jesus died for my sins and that he was raised from the dead on the third day, and I confess him now with my mouth as my Lord and my Savior.